1: Daily Tech News show is made possible by its listeners. Thanks to all of you, including Scott Hepburn, Bjorn Andre, and Jeff Wilkes. Coming up on DTNS, the U.S. Chips Act restricts what companies can do in China. Samsung and iFixit launched their repair program. And the Open OpenRISC-V chip instruction set might be bad news for ARM. John C. Dvorak is here to tell us why. This is the Daily Tech News for Tuesday, August 2nd, 2022 in Los Angeles. I'm Tom Merritt. I'm the show's producer, Roger Chang. And yeah, we welcome technology and Substack columnist, co-host of No Agenda Show and D.H. Unplugged, Mr. John C. Dvorak. Welcome back.
2: Hello. Good to see you, Tom. You it's look good.
1: good. Oh, thanks. You too.
2: Uh, you know, your background there, you got a lot of junk. You maybe should clean out the place.
1: You know, people keep telling me that, but I you like it. You know, I it. can
2: spot you have the Oxford English Dictionary Compact Edition, Compact. which comes with a magnifying
1: glass. And I need that at my advanced age. Well <laughs> if we need it though i could I could pull it out at any time uh, let 's start with a few tech things you should know. Uber turned a corner at seemingly just the right time, reporting positive free cash flow last quarter that means it can fund itself and not worry about running out of cash. free cash flow rates into account operating and capital expenses, but not non-cash things like share-based compensation and changes in the value of Uber's investments. They have some investments in Zomato, Aurora, Grace, etc. Once you take all that into account, given the state of the stock market, Uber lost $1.33 a share, but its gross bookings, the actual business that it conducts on its platform, like rides and subscriptions and deliveries, that all rose 33%. On the year. So the actual business itself isn't doing bad. Uh, that was led by ride hailing, which rose 120% on the year, while food delivery slowed to 7% growth, though food delivery still brings in the most money for Uber. Uh, Logitech announced a partnership with Tencent Games to launch a dedicated cloud gaming handheld later this year. Uh, the device will support Xbox Cloud Gaming and NVIDIA's GeForce Now game streaming service. No word on price or specific release date. Wi Fi 7. Uh, which you can put in your brain as 802.11BE, could start showing up in laptops within two years, Intel's vice president of wireless solutions, Eric McLaughlin, told a conference in Asia, quote, we are currently developing Intel's Wi-Fi 802.11B in order to obtain the Wi-Fi Alliance certification, and it will be installed in PC products such as laptops by 2024. We expect it to appear in major markets in 2025. Uh, If you're wondering, Wi-Fi 7 is going to double your bandwidth, double your speed over Wi-Fi 6, uh, and promises to improve stability in the 6 gigahertz spectrum insta 360 announced a new 4k webcam with a three-axis gimbal the insta 360 link it uses a half inch sensor and physically pans and zooms the camera to keep a user's face in frame also supports gesture control for zooming offers a desk view mode to point the camera down for overhead content and it can go into portrait mode for vertical video and you can get it for 300 bucks uh, finally, Xiaomi announced the media Glasses camera, a pair of smart glasses with a single Google Glass-style micro OLED display on the right eye, and two cameras, a 50-megapixel main shooter and an 8-megapixel periscope zoom. Xiaomi says the display can be used for real-time translation and AR effects, something Google Glass doesn't do. Uh, other features will be added in future updates. The Mijia Glasses use a Qualcomm Snapdragon chipset with 3 gigabytes of RAM pre-orders, start August 3rd for 2,499 yuan. That's about $370 US. All right, John, let's talk about uh, Samsung's repair program. Have you heard much about this?
2: Yeah, something that... uh, I mean, ever since the days of WordStar when licensing came around, these guys... All these companies think that they own their products, you know, even when you have them because you're just licensing, licensing the product, mm. when in fact, uh, you bought it and you should be able to fix it and that you have to have legislation so you can now fix it. Just a part of that fix it legislation.
1: Yeah. This is a response to that. Uh, Samsung uh, announced this program back in March. Uh, it's fairly limited. If you own a galaxy S 20 and S 21, a tab S seven plus you can buy official Samsung replacement parts and access guides on how to cert- how to do certain types of repairs. So your phone may not be on that list, for instance, the S22, the flagship sure is not on there. Yeah, uh, Samsung plans to add more parts and support more repairs going forward. No word on when or if that will happen. Uh, one of the things you can't do is just replace the battery. You have to replace the entire display if you want to get a battery. Uh, but for now, what you will get are parts, tools, and guides to fix your screen, like I just said, uh, back glass, and your charging port.
2: Well, the the screen is the big deal because people break the screen. The next thing you know, they uh, they they're, you have to buy a whole new phone. The battery thing, I mean, the phone makers could have the, the early. Uh, I have a Galaxy, an old one, well, like the original. I think the one and the back comes right off. It snaps right off. You can put the battery, put new battery in. Uh, but they seal those batteries in there as another way of getting people to buy more cameras.
1: Yeah. yeah, I'm Look,
2: trying more phones. Cameras is what they use them for.
1: It gives you, it gives, it's easier for them to do watertight and dust tight, and it's easier for them to make you buy a new phone.
2: So it's yeah. I guess if you do drop win-win. in the toilet like yeah. people do, you
1: got uh, it made. If you want to get any of these parts, you can get them through iFixit, or you can go to Samsung service uh, locations, retail locations. Uh, Samsung's also providing a return label uh, if you do the display replacement, so you can send back your old display for recycling. And as I mentioned, that display assembly does include a battery, so even if your display's fine, if you're really in a pinch, you could plop down for a whole display assembly and at least get a new battery. Uh, Samsung says the prices are the same that repair shops pay. So for example, for an S20, display assembly is 200 bucks, back glass is 70 bucks, charging port is 60 bucks. Uh, and this isn't iFixit's first partnership. In fact, uh, they have partnered with Google and Valve uh, on repair programs as well. And Apple has its own. They haven't partnered with anybody because they're Apple. Uh, but they have their own DIY repair program where you can order parts for them. Uh, it is becoming the norm, though, for these big companies to at least do this much.
2: I congratulate them.
1: <laughs> yes, pat on, pat themselves on the back. Roger, I know you. you're interested in this, particularly for your own phones.
3: I think it's a good sign that, you know, I I don't I don't see this as being a, a, a big a, a big thing for for the larger consumer population. But it is a good sign to recognize that there are people, or at least customers, who do want to go through the the hassle of you know fixing it themselves, and it's and it's at least a nod that it is something important. Um, I mean, realistically, I mean, most of these phones are still, I mean, just especially the way they're constructed. Um, this is probably something that's probably going to be attempted by, probably by less than ten percent uh, of users. But you know, it's still a good step. Ideally, I would, I would like a, a device that's consciously designed in a way that allows it to be separated into pieces and put back together with, uh, with the with the the mini uh, the minimum amount of uh, lewd Uh, swearing as you jab your thumb with the jeweler's screwdriver again. (laughs) Um, But no, it's a a good step.
1: You know, it's the best for as I fix it. I, I, I fix it. Uh, doesn't lose it all here. They they get uh, direct supply of parts. They can also still sell third-party parts. So they you can actually repair more things on a Samsung phone through iFixit than you can through this official repair program because iFixit's also like, well, if you want to re- repair a battery, we can sell you some of those. They don't have it for the S22 yet, not sure why, uh, but there's other ways of doing it with iFixit. And then they get to offer this like, well, if you really want like certified parts from the manufacturer, you can get that through us now too.
3: And uh, let no one under be any disillusion. This isn't a product of some sort of forward, you know, uh, 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 egalitarian thinking. It's probably like, hey, we want to stave off potential, even more potential legislation that really puts us under no, the no, microscope. No, no, it was
1: altruistic, Roger. The, the looming threat of legislation, had, had, I'm sure, had <laughs> zero effect.
2: That'll be the day. <laughs>
1: Uh, Speaking of legislation, let's talk about U.S. President Biden expecting to sign the Chips and Science Act of 2022. May have signed it by the time you listen to this. Uh, We covered the details of the act itself on Friday. The short version, if you missed that, is it's going to authorize the United States government to spend $280 billion on research and development over the next five years, $39 billion of that. Uh, is going to go directly to subsidized semiconductor manufacturing. $11 billion goes to chip plants, research, and workforce training, and another $2 billion for making older chips uh, used in automotive and military applications. It's not a ton of money going to semiconductor manufacturing in the grand scheme of things, but the chip companies are excited by it nonetheless. Uh, TSMC is committed to spend $12 billion on plants in Arizona. Samsung said it's going to spend $17 billion in Texas. SK Hynix announced $15 billion coming to the U.S. in investment, uh, although they haven't given any plans on where. Uh, Intel and Micron, to U.S. companies also planning to take advantage of the subsidies. But there are strings attached. Both Bloomberg and Nikkei Asia uh, noticed a clause in the final version that passed the House that says that a company that accepts a subsidy agrees not to make a significant transaction that would materially expand its semiconductor manufacturing capacity in the People's Republic of China, called out specifically – or any other foreign country of concern for the next 10 years. Uh, China is already on that list of countries of concern alongside Russia, North Korea, and Iran. Companies would be allowed an exception to protect existing business interests or expansions that serve that country of concern's market for legacy semiconductors. So if you're making, and that's defined as 28 nanometer process semiconductors or older, Uh, you can spend some money expanding your plant there, uh, especially if you're making chips for the Chinese market, but not anything newer. Um, Most of these companies don't, Make anything newer in China. TSMC makes a 16 nanometer process in Nanjing, uh, but most of the potential subsidy recipients wouldn't be affected. So, John, there's a race on. China says it aims to source 70% of its chips from its own domestic companies by 2025. Bloomberg estimates that China's premier chip company, SMC, though, is about six years behind TSMC. And advanced chip making equipment from companies like ASML in the Netherlands are being restricted by U.S. export rules. So it might be tough for China to catch up.
2: Well, you know, they steal stuff better than anybody else. So I don't know how tough it's going to be. They, they've caught up to everything else. Um, this, by the way, I think the word that you read in there about the money going to China, you, the, I think they dropped in the word significant.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And I think, uh, is that defined in the bill? I don't think so
1: uh Uh, to make a significant transaction yeah uh it's
2: significant is for the semiconductor industry is in the billions uh i mean it's a a significant would be half the bill i I don't know what what they're trying to do here but a lot of this the r&d money i don't know a lot of that's going to green stuff um and uh I just don't feel sorry for the semiconductor industry. I mean, Intel generally just itself, and it's not even the first, second, third, fourth, I think it's like the fifth or sixth biggest uh, chip company now with TSMC being number one. And surprisingly, NVIDIA being number two, um, they do usually about $80 billion a year. I think they've dropped off quite a bit because of the pandemic or something happened. And, uh, this is a lot of money that they're just plowing through, and now, now they're whining about the fact that they've outsourced all their stuff overseas to these fabs that uh, um, are um, just doing a better job in terms of what it costs to make a chip. Intel does have a fab. They're going to start their, what is it, Intel Fab Systems, IFS or IFB or something, that, yeah. not IFB. And I think they're trying to get into the fab business. I think they're just looking for the government to uh, give them a little little extra money, free money, is the way I see it. I I'm not a I'm not as jacked up about this chips bill as everybody else is. Yeah. Uh, I just don't see these guys needing that much help from the government. They can do it themselves. They know how to do it. They're smart. Some of the smartest guys in the world.
1: I, uh, I, I did a, qu- a quick search on the bill. The significant transaction is defined in your agreement with the secretary. So when you sign your agreement to get the subsidy, that's when they agree on what a significant transaction is. So it could be different for for different companies. Uh, and it's
2: Well, I know Intel, the, the CEO of Intel was out, out yakking about how, you know, they were going to move their facilities, their, their manufacturing to Europe. Yep. And it just seems to me that what is Euro- I mean, Europe, which is – I don't see why, why, why we moved any of our fabs out of the United States because this is all protected stuff. It's uh, dangerous for the national security to, for these chips to get out and show up in Russian airplanes, for example. Um, it's just always this whole thing, this loss of the industry in the United States has always baffled me. And it happened pretty much overnight. It, it started happening, but it, it snuck up on you. Next thing you know, we, I think we make 15% of our chips in this country, maybe.
1: The argument has always been cost. Uh, right. And and so that's the argument they want to use to get the subsidy, which which honestly, again, this is not that much money. It's it's almost like bragging rights to get this money it's free money. Yeah. it's And who doesn't like free money? Right. So uh, any free money is better than not getting any money at all. Uh, but it's enough to to get the plant made. It's It's basically using the United States government as as an investment arm, you know, sink a little seed money into us building a new plant.
2: Yeah, kind the way that Chinese do. So uh, the cost thing is I've always thought was something somewhat mythical because I think it's less cost and more tax benefits, tax breaks, special deals. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, the first time I went to China, China mainland was uh, in the 90s, early. And I, I visited the Samsung keyboard plant. And Samsung had a keyboard plant. Was, it was either Samsung. It may have been Acer whatever the case, one of the two, they had a keyboard plant there. And I was talking about the reason you guys are, you're paying their, at the time they were paying their workers $25 a week. And I said, so the whole reason for being here is because you're so, saving so much money on labor. And he says, N- you know, maybe, but the real re- we want to move to, we want to get rid of all these people and put in robots. We want to robotize everything mm. and then we'll be, you know, then we can make some money. And it always seemed to me that the, the labor thing is kind of a stopgap the cheap labor in China, which isn't as cheap as it used to be. Uh, and the whole thing is going to be robots. Well, we can do robots here. So there's got to be some other element here. And it's got to either be the cost of land, the tax benefits or mm-hmm. some other thing. The
1: incentive to build.
2: Yeah. There's some incentive missing that we don't have in this country. I know in California what it is, it's the – ridiculous personal income tax and taxes on business
1: mm-hmm. yeah i i think what would be best for everyone is if we had a nice distributed system where if something goes down in one place it doesn't bring down the uh, the whole system again you know like a, a good distributed Yeah, good luck tom
2: yeah yeah one of uh, these days
1: uh well, we we could we can try to come up with a solution next week on DTNS Experiment Week. We're swapping out our normal DTNS shows, trying out some new ideas. Uh, we did this last year, and now you can enjoy shows like Barbecue and Tech and The Tech John. Uh, so who knows what's going to come out of this. This year, we've got Rob Dunwood and Rod Simmons giving us a reaction show, instant reaction to Samsung's announcement. Nicole Lee is doing a show on tech culture from an Asian-American perspective. Uh, that all starts. Starts next week, Monday, August 8th on the DTNS feed right here where you're getting this show.
0: Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content.
1: RISC-V is an open standard instruction set architecture based on the old reduced instruction set architecture, uh, RISC. Uh, Dates back to about 1980. RISC-V was introduced in 2010. It's kind of like ARM, except you don't have to pay anybody to use it. Uh, earlier this month, the first laptop running on Risk Five, the Roma, went up for pre-order. That'll be shipping in September, they say. Uh, Pine Sixty Four, a maker and seller of hacker-friendly single-board computers, just introduced a Risk Five-powered single-board computer called the Star Sixty Four. And John, you've been following Risk Five. Uh, what do you think it offers over, say, an ARM or an x86?
2: Well, for one thing, uh, I know I, I had a chat with uh, David Patterson, who's a retired. Um, He's the guy who with Hennessy designed Risk to begin with. And he's his fingers are all over this thing. And it's really been redone a lot. It's not nothing like the original Risk, and I'm not sure how much uh um it's just this it's re-architected. And it's it's got some elements that are quite interesting insofar as it's free. It's open source. And it was described to me, the best way to describe it was um because I'm trying to describe it as something that's modularly Take apart because you could put another instruction set on top of the mm. the basis, uh, the basic architecture, and actually make it an x86 chip. Um, but it's described as a standard in in um, in line with uh, Ethernet. Look at it as Ethernet. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That, that's your best bet, or uh, the uh, IEEE uh, floating point standard. Mm-hmm. That's what they wanted. That's how they're handling this. So it's going to be a standardized product that anyone can build. It's open source. And so you can do the modifications, do whatever you want to it uh, in the same way you can with ARM. And so uh, ARM costs money. You buy the IP from ARM and then you have to pay a royalty. You have to do the same. And you can't even do that with Intel. They just keep it for themselves. And you have to re-engineer it from scratch if you want to do anything with an x86 instruction set like AMD did uh, and surpassed Intel in some ways so so the idea is that this thing is just it's a true open source and standard it's a standardized a uh, product that will be available to anybody uh to use and as they wish and there's already being used a lot i understand by some of the chip companies like uh i'm guessing nvidia has got uh, RISC risk chips built in here and there and other people are looking at this as a way of, of Saving money. This is a winner, except that you know they're 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 making some missteps in so far as their marketing is concerned. Because I was watching a recent uh discussion about from one of the guys that is part of the team at, at the risk dot or risk five dot org or whatever the main site is. They have you can go there. They got some videos. You can learn quite a bit. But uh, they're talking about well, we're gonna we're gonna do a laptop because developers love laptops, and so we're gonna do the laptop, and and we're gonna be able to take the chip out and put another more a faster one in. You can do chip replacement, and this is something I've been hearing about since the '80s. <laughs> uh, where oh yeah, you can upgrade. I think even IBM tried to do this once. Is you can upgrade the processor. Mm-hmm. And uh, anyone who's watched this fiasco go on and on, it's just that when people upgrade the processor, if you could say you can, it's that's not the problem. The real upgrade you need is a changing to USB C, changing to a a better display, changing to a different HD, you know, an HDMI something with a different kind of yeah of uh, something
1: more like what the framework laptop is trying to do whether we're allowing you to swap everything out
2: yeah well it's it turns out to cost more it's easier just to toss a machine just go but you know i don't know i just bought a lenovo for my wife which she wanted a touch screen so uh, i just uh, i don't know what i didn't pay anything for it and and then to me i've been buying these little uh i don't have one here i should uh, you know, the Intel NUC, which oh, yeah. is a mm-hmm. new unit of computing. Well, they're actually, you know, B-Link and Ace PC and all these other guys are building these things. And they're, I just, this B-Link S, I just bought one uh, from uh, Amazon. They were $165 with a 10 nanometers uh, Celeron in it to, I think, two or four cores. And... uh with a twenty percent twenty no twenty dollars off coupon that comes with it, so for one hundred and fifty bucks, and it's got two HDMI's for two monitors. This thing is loaded. It's got built-in Wi-Fi. It's got a decent uh, uh, solid-state hard drive. I don't see why I'd be swapping anything. So I mean, the whole idea of swapping stuff is is kind of dumb to me. But
1: getting back to Risk Five, do you do you think that uh, this is at Raspberry Pi level yet do you, you yeah, know, no, it's at
2: Raspberry Pi level, yes
1: yeah, so well, it's good for hobbyists. within
2: twenty percent. they've been doing some tests on that little board you just mentioned. yeah, they ran it against the Raspberry Pi, running the same software, and it, it turns out to be about 20 percent 20 percent slower. okay, but you know with the with the brain power behind this thing, and now Intel's dropping a billion dollars into the project. And I don't know if they're doing it as a defensive investment or they're Mm -hmm. doing it to uh, get on board. Don't know. But if they bring some of their technology, uh, process technology into the fray, they can get a raspberry Pi will be left in the dust. But right now it's, I'd say, almost on
1: par. Yeah. uh, It feels a little like ARM did way back, which is, nah, I don't know if this will ever be in a PC. And of course, now we look at ARM instruction sets inside the MacBook Pro, and people are saying it's one of the best laptops out there because of the chip and the chip design. So it certainly could have the potential for that. It sounds to me, if I had to guess, that Intel's throwing money at this in the hopes of leapfrogging ARM, which is to say, ARM is not going to throw money in this because it's a competitor. So if Intel can make Risk v work better, Intel can not only put a competitor on ARM, but also take advantage of it because they're working directly with it.
2: Yeah, and Intel needs something like this. So um, it's like IBM getting involved with Linux. I think it's probably a good idea if yeah. they play it right. The problem is Intel has this huge problem with not invented here at, in, at, the, at the corporate level. And so they will have people trying to... Uh, uh, submarine the efforts, I believe, because Intel's always had this problem with with taking in other technologies,
1: and it's it's uh, a it's a corporate culture problem. It doesn't matter who's it's
2: in a cold call, yeah, which means you can't fix it.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's tough to fix.
2: Uh, so we'll see where that goes. But I I do think that, and I looked at the timeline of Ethernet, which I believe was invented around 1973 and came into the play around seven, 82. It took about 10 years. It took actually about 12 years before Ethernet 10. Uh, probably it was the one or 2 uh, megabit per second ethernet it, before it started becoming in part of the public domain uh, and public consciousness and then it, you didn't get to I forgot the year that 100 megabit then that gigabit I got 10 gigabits, you got 40 gigabit uh, ethernet it started jumping when it when it jumped to uh, gigabit and so it, so it took that long the uh, this project this risk 5 Began in uh, 2010 at Berkeley. It's a Cal project. Uh, and so now it's 12 years old. So it is getting to the point where it's like Ethernet, one megabit per second Ethernet. And so now mm-hmm. the timeline follows through within two or three years. I'd say within – it's by 2025, I think this will be a player.
1: It's uh, a Swiss company now. It's a nonprofit that, that is overseeing it. So it's the perfect – Positioning to be a standards organization right uh, they 're kind of cagey about the license if it looked the only licenses I could find were Creative Commons licenses. Uh, but I didn't dig down far enough, so I, I'm I'm curious if.
2: Well, my understanding is it's open source. Period. It,
1: yeah, I think every everything is certainly open source, uh, and it may just be a Creative Commons license on the source code. I think I good. think that
2: I don't know the license either, but yeah. I would say the li- I'm guessing the license is one of those you can use it, but you whatever you develop you have, you to, have to put back into the pot.
1: Yep. Uh, I, it, it's perfectly positioned to be a standard. It's certainly something to keep an eye on. Uh, so, uh, good, good thing to look at. Talk about it again in three years when you have me back on. Yeah. yeah. Please make it back before three years from now. Uh, to to make you to make you feel welcome, I put a Winamp story in the show today. You know, oh yes, yeah, great, <laughs> just have, something comfortable. Winamp, uh, Winamp's back. Uh, four years in development, the popular media player software is back out of beta. Uh, you may think, well, wait, Winamp ceased development in 2013, uh, but if you think back in 2018, there was a leak of a new version of Winamp, uh, Winamp 5.8, and they went ahead and published it because of the leak at winamp.com. Well, now winamp 5.9. The next version is official. Uh, The code base was updated from Visual Studio 2008 to Visual Studio 2019. Uh, That sadly means it no longer will work on your XP or Vista machines, but uh, it'll work on Windows 7 up. Uh, Work can now begin because of that code base switch. That's what took them four years. uh, To add things you want from it so native support for more file formats they're they're talking about vp9 hls h.265 stuff like that uh support for new online services which is i think something that a lot of people would want out of this uh you know uh, win app stories may be a little similar to risk five something with its roots in the past but uh positioned to be a little more open and accepting a and as an alternative in the future
2: yeah well let's hope not um I'd hate to equate the two. To be honest about it,
1: app's <laughs> like have an fun old mod-
2: feelings for Winamp. It's like an old Model T. You know that it was just it worked in its day. Yeah, and uh, and it just chugs along. And so instead of like just dropping it like you should have, uh, bringing it back as kind of a Model T hot rod. Okay, well, it probably a, it'll no. be. I'll try it.
1: Yeah, I will too. Of course uh let's check the mailbag real quick uh we had our photo news monthly episode this weekend hosted by amos and rich droffolino uh and yaniv a photographer with a nikon zfc and manual lenses wrote in and said, a few years ago, I had the Sony a6000, great little camera, but I wanted to take time lapses with it. There was no way to do it easily, but I found out that someone hacked the software and with a new software installed in the SD card, you can override the latest version and be able to create amazing time lapses with a few clicks. I think companies create a version of the camera's software and sometimes don't realize what people want or what they can do with it. Important details like incomplete software is a problem and shouldn't be released until they're complete, but I am all in on new capabilities created by software updates. Agreed, Yanev.
2: You know, time-lapse is a great little item to have on your camera. Very few cameras have it. And the last camera I had that had it was an old Kodak 3 megapixel clunker. It was a big thing. And it had time-lapse on it, and you could put it on the outside. And it also had variable time-lapse. So you could do one frame a second. You could do one frame a minute, one frame an hour, one frame a day. I believe that had all those variables, it, but it had variables, and uh, it was a great idea. But I don't know why these guys can't just won't just do that. Uh, this is, you know, and now on those Sony cameras, which are stunning, kind of pro grade cameras. These things are you know used by movie makers. Uh, it's a good idea to put it on there just to draw attention. But of course, it has to be done by a hacker.
1: Yeah. As so many good things are. John Dvorak, a pleasure to have you back on DTNS. Uh, I know you're up to No Agenda Show. Uh, tell folks about that and what else you got going on.
2: Well, the No Agenda Show with Adam Curry and myself is a three-hour, twice-a-week show, uh, noagendashow.com, if you want to listen to an episode. Uh, we deconstruct news stories, basically. Uh, we take a look at a news story, and then we take it apart and see what PR agency was behind it, if, it, if it's a, really a native ad. We're seeing a lot of those on NPR now. And you can tell the native ads because it's some stupid story. The taco Mexican taco story, which they ran over and over again, is one of them. And it always runs exactly one minute or exactly two minutes. It's right on the money for a native ad, and it's about Mexican tacos at Taco Bell. Something like that was one of the more recent ones. There's a couple more that come out. Uh, uh, Apple's got a new native ad that's been floating around the country. Somebody sent it to me the other day. But we look into those. But we look mostly into news stories, and we try to uh, get to the bottom of, of the various uh, bills in Congress and, and uh, the repetitive news stories you see here and there. Uh, and then the other show I do, which is uh, DH Unplugged, which is a stock market analysis show. I've always uh, – Written about the financial business. And so uh, I'm not writing about it anymore. I'm doing the show with uh, Andrew Horowitz, uh, who's in Florida. And we talk about uh, it's a one hour show to the money. It's like an hour. Uh, it's not like a, no agenda show is open ended, so it can go on for days. We once did a seven and a half hour show.
0: Hey.
2: Um, but uh, DH Unplug is, if you're an investor, I think it, you'd get a lot out of that show.
1: Excellent. Go check them out, folks. NoagendaShow.net and DHUnplugged.com. Big thanks to brand new boss Paul just joined us, uh, started backing us on Patreon. Thank you, Paul. If you uh, go back us at Patreon.com slash DTNS, we might be thanking you tomorrow. Patrons, stick around. You get an extra show, Good Day Internet, coming up right after this one. Uh, You can also catch the show live Monday through Friday, 4 p.m. Eastern, 200 UTC. Find out more at DailyTechNewsShow.com slash live. We're back tomorrow with Scott Johnson. Talk to you then.
0: This show is part of the Frog Pants Network. Get more at frogpants.com.
1: Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. (laughs)